It's August 1st, which means we are coming, we are here in the month of August. And so what we felt as a leadership team as we were praying about August is we really felt like the Lord said to teach out of the book of Ephesians. So we're going to be doing that all month. And I am, man, I'm so excited. I love the book of Ephesians. Guys, it's only six chapters and it is so rich. And so I want to do a quick encouragement. We're going to be taking the whole month to do this. And so this is a great opportunity to dive in with us and read this book with us. It's, it's not, not a long book, but it is a jam-packed book. Every chapter, I'm like, oh my goodness, there's five messages there. 10 messages here. It's so powerful. So I want to encourage you to hop in with us. We're really coming into this book. We're not trying to say, okay, how does this, you know, how does this fit into a theme? Instead, we're reading Ephesians to get the words that Paul is saying, and then we're using that as a reference point for where we're going. Because the Bible is like, we need to be in Scripture, I'm really passionate about this right now. I think there's a lot of us, I think we're, we can't be content just to learn scripture from pastors or podcasts. You need to be in this book. You need to be analyzing it. You need to be asking, what's the context? What's Paul saying? What was happening in that particular time, at, in that body? Why was Paul writing this letter? You need to be asking yourselves these questions as we read. All right, so what's our, what's, our, what's our mission here at Convergence? Encountering Jesus and transforming cities with his power and love. That is why I'm here. That's it right there. I want to encounter him, and as I encounter him, I then am empowered to transform a city. Even if it's one person at a time, amen? I love those new shirts we have, Encounter Jesus. Like, I want to walk around in a coffee shop with that shirt. I want to invite conversation that says, hey, why do you have a shirt on that says encounter Jesus? Well, hey, can you sit down and grab a, grab a latte and let me tell you? Let me tell you. That's what we're called to. All right, so the title of my message this morning is A Mature Church, Part 1. And the reason it's Part 1 is because you, you get to catch Part 2 next week. So get excited. It's going to be good. I'm going to be teaching out of Ephesians 5 next week. You could text notes to 817-293-5050, or you can use the QR code on the screen to grab my notes this morning. Um, you can view what I'm viewing, and don't scroll too far down and get lost. Let me get there, <laughs> okay? But I want to give you guys an opportunity to grab the notes this morning. So this morning, I really want to talk about maturity, and specifically, I want to talk out of the book of Ephesians. And so here's the deal. Coming out of this message, what do I want? What's my goal this morning? Coming out of this message, I want you to know the fullness of Christ that is within you. And I want you to understand what maturity looks like. So that's, that's where I'm headed. And so I'm just going to pray real quick. Lord, we just thank you for what you're going to do. We ask you that every heart would be opened. We are here to receive from you, Lord. We're not here to listen to my words. We're here to hear your words. <laughs> and so, Holy Spirit, I ask you that even as I speak, that you would move on every heart, God. 
Move on every heart, those watching on the live stream, Lord, that you would move in every house, in every car, everyone that's watching it later, Lord. We just thank you, Jesus, that your spirit is moving within us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Ephesians, when was it written? Does anybody know? 60 to 62 AD. Jason Church is looking at my notes. Come on. Somebody's got the notes. That's it. Anywhere from AD 60 to AD 62. The setting is in Ephesus, which is the southwest corner of modern-day Turkey. Paul is writing this epistle while he was in prison. I love the prison epistles. Now, I know you've got my notes there, but can anyone tell me the other three prison epistles? Philippians, Colossians, there's one more. Philemon. Philemon, that's right. So we've got Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. These, all of these letters Paul wrote while he was in prison. Now, I love these letters, and I love the reality of the fact that if we know Paul's writing these in a prison cell, he's pinning these letters it, it almost puts more, this m- more weight on it because he's in this moment where he is confined to a cell for preaching about Jesus. And yet he's writing these letters so rich and full of exhortation and encouragement, even in dealing with the circumstances that he was dealing with. I think that's fascinating. So what was happening at the time in Ephesus? Ephesus was a big port town. It was a big trade city. This was also where one of the wonders of the world was actually the temple of Diana or Artemis. So this is a, this is a Greek goddess, and they erected this massive temple in Ephesus. And so people would come all over the region to be at this temple. It was the center of trade. There was a lot of business that was conducted there. And if you remember, this is why we need to read the whole Bible If you remember back in Acts 19, Paul heals this woman, and actually it it offends these these guys that are there because he's doing it in the temple, and they're all of a sudden, they're worried that God is bigger than Artemis or Diana. It's It's really cool. So it's a big, big trade city. Why is Paul writing Ephesians? He's writing it to exhort and build up the body, the church. It's exactly what Jason said. Paul is writing, he's saying, hey guys, listen, you're doing an amazing job, but I want to exhort you to stay the course. I want to make sure you are anchored to the truth found in Jesus. And so now I'm going to dive in, and I'm going to read a lot of scripture this morning. So I want to encourage you to open up your Bible to Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. If you don't know where Ephesians is, it is sandwiched in between Galatians and Philippians. All right, Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up, say building up, Building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature, say mature, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Say grow. Grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted, as Jason said, and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth, say growth, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Before we continue, I want you to notice all the words that you just said there. Did you notice how often Paul says he's, say, he, he's using words like building, up, maturity, growth, grow up. There's a theme that's developing here. He's talking about how do we mature? What does growing up look like? What does growth look like? And then we continue here in Ephesians 4 verse 17. So I say this and affirm in the Lord that you are no longer to walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their minds, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves up to indecent behavior for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness." Verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, that in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourselves of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you are to be renewed, say renewed, in the spirit of your minds, and to put on, say put on, the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, ridding yourselves, verse 25, of falsehood. Speak truth. Say, speak truth. Speak truth. Each one of you with his neighbor because we are parts of one another. Wow. That's it. We can go home. Paul just preached to us. We're good. That is that is an amazing passage of scripture. So power-packed. It's, it's so much scripture, I could preach five messages on that passage alone. Just those verses. Paul is just he's putting so much in here, but he uses those words, as I said, grow up. There's a theme, and that theme is maturity. Maturity. He's exhorting the church at Ephesus to grow up in Christ. So what does it mean to grow? Well, grow communicates that we don't just stay where we're at. We're moving. We're growing, right? We don't stay as children. We grow up. We grow up. My daughter is learning so much, and she's growing up, and she's learning all these big words. And I'm like, wow, where did you learn that? She's growing up. So there's a growth. There's, there's an aspect to that. We are supposed to grow in the Lord, and ultimately our lives are to bear fruit. And so there's this question that I feel like the Lord's asking us this morning. Do our lives reflect the reality of the Spirit of God living inside of us? 
growth is crucial to our walk with Jesus. Listen, the enemy wants to try to take us out. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? So we all start. But it says only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Run so that you finish well. Finishing. Growth is about finishing. It's not just about starting. It's about continuing, staying in there, finishing the race well. As believers, we are, we're starting on this journey. But man, it's not just about starting. It's about staying in there. Finish the race well. I love that. Finish well. Maturity involves staying true to the end. Oh, man, we need that right now. When things get wild, maturity says, I'm going to stay the course. I'm going to stay in there and finish well. And so listen, let's go back to that text. Again, we're going we're gonna to get everything here from this text. Ephesians 4, Paul lists three specific keys to maturity there. And if you want to go back and reference it here, you can find this in Ephesians 4 verse 12. He says, unity of the faith, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, and the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So here Paul gives us three keys. The first is unity of the faith. The second is knowledge of the Son of God, who is Jesus. And fullness in Christ. fullness that is Christ. So listen, Jesus doesn't want you to just believe in him. He wants you to walk with him and live a life that produces fruit. This is the foundation for maturity and growth. 2 Peter 3.18, Paul says, Peter says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Notice how though, notice how Peter here, he doesn't say, let's see, Second Peter, according to the world, would say, but grow in the grace and knowledge of ourselves and then have Jesus if you need him. That's not what it says. Listen to this. Grow in the grace and knowledge of who? Not you. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Paul here in Ephesians 4, when he talks about these three things, he's saying maturity looks like unity in Jesus. Unity in Jesus, it looks like walking in the knowledge of Jesus. Not my knowledge, not my own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. It's not my understanding, it's his understanding. So it's not my knowledge, it's the knowledge of Jesus. It's his knowledge. And what's great about that is that I don't have to strive to figure out how to know my way into a greater reality of Jesus. I'm not going to try to reason, to try to say, oh, I'm just going to reason my way into a deeper place of maturity. It's the knowledge of Jesus. Come on. And understanding, listen to this, listen to this. Paul uses that word stature. Does anyone know what stature means? The word stature means this, importance or reputation gained by ability 
or achievement. So it's your stature, it's your, your ability, your ability to achieve something, your ability to have a reputation, to have influence, all of these things. And what does Paul say in Ephesians 4 right here? He says it right here in verse 12. It says, a mature man looks like this, the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What's he saying? This is maturity. Not your stature, but your stature being in the fullness of Christ. Oh, come on. Are we catching this this morning? Your stature, your ability to do anything, your ability to achieve anything, your, your reputation, your influence is not in you. It's in the fullness of Christ. That's maturity. Isn't it exciting that I can't actually mature on my own? I need him. I have to have him. Listen to this. Maturity is walking in the reality of what is already inside of you. I love this quote by Tyndale. It says, it is through personal encounter with Jesus as Savior and Lord that the Christian life begins. That's salvation. But listen to this. It is through constant contact with him in both those capacities that Christian character develops. Your ability to grow is directly related to constant contact with Jesus. Maturity is growth and being rooted and grounded in the truth of Jesus. So listen, that's what maturity is. So now that we've talked about what maturity is, I want to talk just briefly. Paul briefly then takes us into a reason why maturity is important. Why is this important? And and listen to this. Paul here, let's go back up to Ephesians 4 again. We're going to continuously reference the text. Paul says in verse 14, after he says, this is what maturity is, he says, as a result. So as a result of this, do not be children, no longer be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. In all aspects of him who is the head, that is Christ. Maturity, listen to this. Maturity is important because knowing the truth, the fullness of Christ within you, keeps you from deception. Why is maturity important? Paul says, this is what maturity is. Now, as a result of you knowing that, do not be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. He says three things. He says every wind of doctrine. What's doctrine? Beliefs. Don't be, don't be swayed by everyone else's different beliefs. By the trickery of people. That's deception. And by deceitful scheming. But he says speaking the truth in love, be anchored to what? The head. Without my head, my body doesn't know what to do. It doesn't know where it's going. It doesn't know what I, what I, what, what, how do I put one leg in front of the other? Well, it's all happening here in my head. Who is the head? Christ. 
So if I'm putting on the head, it means I am anchored to Christ. And he is directing my every move. Paul would continue this theme further in Ephesians 4, verse 17. Let's go ahead and read that. It says this, So I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. In the futility, say futility, of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their heart. That word futility, that's a big word. That word in the Greek is the word mat, matiomas. I'm butchering that. But someone will say it better than me. What does that word mean? It means do not, it, it means deceived. Do not be deceived in the futility of your mind. What's the point? They are dece- we can be, de- if we're not careful, we can be deceived in our thinking. And I want you to see this. Deception, there's two key areas that I think deception comes in. And I think the first is this. Deception is present when truth is absent or has been rejected. So if truth is absent or if I reject the truth of the Bible, I'm walking in deception. Second thing. Deception is present when you or anything else becomes your savior, not Jesus. So Paul makes this point. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. A key to maturity is knowing the truth and being rooted in Jesus. But listen, if our navigation isn't constantly pointing to Jesus, it's so easy to get off. This is why compasses were invented. Because if I'm out camping and I'm trying to figure out where I'm going, and I don't have, I I don't, like, I love that there's a compass on here, by the way. But, like, when I move, I'm, like, trying to, okay, how do I get back? Let's see. And the compass helps guide me, yes? Right. And so Jesus, if he's my north, I need to always be going in that direction. But here's where deception comes in. It's so subtle sometimes, guys. And what happens is, is we end up, we, uh, now I'm going northeast. And if I keep going northeast, am I ever going to make it true? I'm not going to truly get to that destination. I'm going to be just a little over here, right? But the thing is, is then it's a little over here. And we have to be so careful about this, which is the reason why We need to be in constant contact with Jesus. We need to be in his word. We need to be anchored to community. We need these things to help keep us going in that direction towards him. And one way I believe to spot deception is by being anchored in true biblical theology and doctrine. This comes back to that compass. Like if I'm leaning on other things... I'm going to get off track. And it's so subtle sometimes. Like, part of the reason why I said read your Bible is because sometimes I think in in our day and age, even with me in the social media era, it's easy for me 
to watch YouTube videos of preaching and watch someone else's encounter, someone else's revelation, and be so leaning on that that now I'm just taking everything that they said and not searching for it myself. And I'm telling you, that is a road to deception. Oh, I would love to tell you that everything that I say, listen, I'm digging in here for myself, which is why I'm preaching on Ephesians this morning. I dug into this passage. I pulled out what I felt like the Lord wanted me to teach you. But you, I don't want you to just take what I say and go, man, that's it, Andrew. Hallelujah. I want you to read Ephesians 4, and I want you to see if you come to the same conclusion. And then I want you to talk to your microchurch. I want you to talk to other people. And I want you to say, hey, this is what I got. What'd you get? Because theology is meant to be done in community. It's not meant to be done me on my own, on my own island with my own social media account saying, hey, I know what this verse says. What if you're missing just one small thing? You need community. You need other people. You need the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you as you read his word. I wasn't planning on going there. That was a caveat. But listen to this. Listen to this, man. Verse 20. Ephesians 4, verse 20. What does it say? But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him. I am so passionate as a pastor to teach us into truth, to help lead us into truth, to to speak truth because it's so needed in this hour. We need to be anchored to truth. And listen, I, I, I believe that one reason, and it just always hits my heart, but one reason why we have some that I believe are falling away from the faith to the point of losing their faith and beliefs And belief in Jesus is because we have a lot of Christians that are attempting to grow and mature by themselves. Oh, man. Come on. That's it. It always, I saw another one this week. And it just, it grips my heart every time. Because I'm like, you don't need to be doing that on your own. You need to be anchored in community. You need to be anchored in a local church. You need to be plugged in. Don't isolate yourself and attempt to just figure it out on your own. You need help. And you need to allow the Holy Spirit to to guide you. But there's a worldly influence that creeps in. And it's this culture thing that says you need to be a better version of you. You just be a better version of yourself. You know what? You just do, do it your own way. And it's so individualistic. Instead, it's like, no, 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 no. Let me come alongside you. Let's both look at Jesus and not be just about ourselves. We've created this individualistic culture that looks right here and says, you just need to just do whatever you need to do to grow. No, 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 no. Let me point you to Jesus because he's the only one that can grow you. Ah. We've created an entire culture around self-help that is apart from Jesus. We've written books. We've made a big thing on self-help. And listen, people need to find help, but they need Jesus. They need to find help with the Holy Spirit. They need to find help through the Bible. They need truth. 
They don't need another way to say, hey, you just need to help yourself out. I'm not going to go down that road too far. But we have to be so careful about this world cultural mindset that says, just do what you want to do. That is a man-made gospel. I'm going to hit a little harder in a minute. Paul says, every wind of doctrine, he says, do not be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And so we have to watch out for deceptive or false theology. What does theology mean? It means the study of God. And I think theology is one of those words where like, man, that's such a big word. Like, please don't talk about theology. I don't want to know anything about theology. It's just too above my head. And I want to say this real quick. Every Christian is a theologian. Why? Because you're studying God. At least you better be. As a believer, you need to be studying God. You are a Christian theologian. Welcome to seminary. It is your job, all of our jobs, we are to study God. Because we want to reflect Him. And so theology is the study of God. But if we aren't careful, theology becomes more about attempting to place ourselves, our issues, our lifestyle, and our culture into the Bible. So what I do is, if I'm creating my own theology, I am putting my experience, my life, my issues, and I'm putting it in here, and then what I get out of here is still me. And one example of this that I'm seeing right now that I think is really dangerous is this new concept of woke theology. Woke theology. Now, woke, that word's kind of like awakened. So it sort of means like I'm, I'm newly awake to something. And, and listen, we all need, like we need to be constantly being awakened to more of Jesus. But this isn't talking about that. And so this, this, this concept here, and again, it's not just woke theology, it's any other theology. And listen, I want to make something clear here. One of the big things of woke theology is that we need to be justice driven. And it was really driven by things like um, racism and, and, and the racial divide. And so we as Christians, we care about these issues. We care about justice. We care about healing the racial divide. But what we're not going to do is subscribe to a theology that chooses to be more issue man-based and less gospel Jesus-based. Oh, come on. Listen to this. We've, we've, We've made all these buzzwords, social justice, social gospel. What's wrong with this? It's just the gospel. Don't put labels in front of the gospel. The minute that you put a label in front of something, you are creating a man-made version of it. Because it's no longer just, it's no longer the truth of the gospel. You've created this social gospel that cares more about social issues than what actually is on God's heart. God cares about social issues. God cares about social justice. God cares about justice in every arena. But he does it through the truth of the reality of the gospel, which is Jesus, not on something that we've created to try to define this thing. And so we put this into the Bible like a puzzle piece that's never going to fit. 
So I just want to anchor us in this. Like, there's this progressive gospel movement. This thing that says, listen, like, Christianity just needs to get up with the times. Oh, man, be careful about that. Like, man, if we could just get up with the times, like, if we could, like, Christianity, man, it's so old, it just needs to be updated for our modern world. Oh, man. People believe that science, like, we have this scientism thing right now where people believe science can answer the fundamental questions, issues of the human condition. The idea that science has the answer to determining your humanity. Putting science as the answer above everything else, that is deception. Listen, I, I'm, science is so good in many ways. It, it's, it's helpful, but it's not our savior. And if you're so rooted in science to save your life, you have created an idol. And that is deceit, that is deception. We need to come back, refocus, and say, what is Jesus saying? He is my Savior. He lights my path. He lights my life. In woke theology, denying a cultural fad is viewed as heresy. (laughs) And listen to this. Woke theology is dangerous because they use the same biblical terms. They'll still... Say things like the gospel, the love of Jesus, hope, faith, but it's with a fresh coat of modernism paint. It's like painted with this little thing that kind of glitters, and it's like, oh, something's just a little off about that. That's woke theology. And so listen, this is what woke theology says. Jesus loves everyone, therefore, if you disagree with my lifestyle by saying that what I'm doing is wrong, you don't love me because love is acceptance and agreement. Take something biblical like love, the love of Jesus, the truth, speaking the truth in love. And it takes this beautiful concept that's biblical, and it paints it with this worldly idea of what love looks like. Jesus didn't agree with everyone's lifestyle. Read John 8, the story of Jesus with the adulterous woman. He loves her. In fact, he says, hey, listen. He who has no sin, feel free to cast the first stone so no one does it. That's love. Jesus is saying, look, I love you, but what's the last thing he says? Go and sin no more. Speaking the truth in love. That's speaking the truth in love. It's not, hey, I love you, just feel free to do whatever you want to do. I love you, just feel free to live however you want to live. That is deception. It is deception this thing takes a concept like love and creates a man-made version (laughs) listen to this we cannot create a jesus crafted from a mixture of biblical misunderstanding and cultural relevance that supports the issues of the times and conforms to everyone's moral ideology in the name of a version of love and peace that is false What happens is, is we've created a theology based in love that's actually moral relativism. What is moral relativism? It's the idea that you get to decide right and wrong for yourself. 
Whatever you think is right, you just go for it. We love you. Do it. I love you, but my love is so zealous for your heart to walk in truth. That's Jesus. Jesus is over here like, I love you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to sit at the dinner table with you. We're going to talk about this, but we're going to talk about this with me so that we can lead and guide us, you into truth. It's not just I love you, do whatever you want to do, continue living that way. All right, I've taken too much time in that. Listen to this, listen to this. Deception is hard to spot because it's subtle many times. It's just a video about something on Facebook. It's, it's, it's being taught something that sounds good or even sounds like the gospel, but it's not. And I want to give, give you a massive tool this morning. Can I do that? Uh, you, you need to write this down. Deception, here's one way to always spot deception. Deception appeals to the flesh, but not the spirit. Oh, that's it right there. What did we talk about? That love concept. What does that appeal to? My flesh. Why? Because it creates an acceptance that I can just do whatever I want and it's okay. Do you see what happens? That's deception. It appeals to my flesh. My flesh loves that. And if my flesh loves that, it's probably, it's, it's not the gospel. All right, I'm going to hammer it home this morning. Last question I ask is this. Paul answers the question, how do we mature? So we've talked about what maturity is, and we've talked about why it's important. Now I'm going to tell you how we stop living in our own strength. We started off talking about what maturity is. So listen, we have to stop living in our own strength, in our own understanding. Let's go back to the passage, Ephesians 4, verse 20, ends by saying, just as the truth is in Jesus. And then verse 22 says that in reference to your former way of life, you are to rid yourselves of the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And verse 23, and that you are to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, say new self which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. I love what it says in the message translation. It says, since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside. What is Paul saying? He's saying, get rid of the old self. And I love here, he, he uses the, the phrase here, he says, in reference to your former way of life. Why is that important? That's the gospel. You were here. You were then made complete in Christ through what he did on the cross. And as you believe in him, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. So when Paul says to put off the old self, that's who you were the new self is who you are in Christ Jesus. You have been made new. And so you are not, listen to this, you are not an old creation attempting to be new. Uh, 
you are a new creation that needs to understand just how new you really are. I think many times we're trying to take our old, like, oh, if I can just make my old self new. And we're still trying to do that, and that becomes our version of maturity. Oh, come on. We're, we see maturity as like this man-made stepladder where we're like, all right, let's see. Memorize one more passage. Went to Sunday church. And we're trying to attempt maturity in this way. And so we're putting our old self in, and we're like, all right, if I can just conform myself to this thing, if I can just discipline myself into this thing, if I can just figure out how to grow in my own understanding, maybe I can make it. Maybe my life will bear fruit. Maybe I can stop doing this thing over here that I'm doing. And we've created this man-made, false version of, of maturity that's rooted in our old self and not our new self. Listen to this. When Paul says put on the new self, he's talking about you are a new creation. So you can know Jesus. You could be going to heaven, but you cannot actually be walking by the Spirit. You can be guided by your own understanding and your own way, living in the energy of the flesh and not the Holy Spirit's power inside of you. When I go to the airport, I love the airport sidewalks. Does anyone know, know what I'm talking about? It's these moving conveyor belts, almost like, almost like a treadmill sort of, but it's like on the ground. So you just kind of walk and you're just watching everybody else. You're just passing them like, hey, see you later. And so you're in the airport and you're walking on this thing. And, you know, I always like to kind of come alongside it and see if I can beat people by not walking on it. You know what I'm saying? See if I can, I can race them. Gotcha. I'm not on a moving sidewalk. And I still beat you, you know? <laughs> but if I'm just walking at a normal pace, and I'm walking at the same pace as someone that's on a moving sidewalk, who's going to win? Moving sidewalk's going to win, for sure. Why? Because there's extra momentum. There's an extra burst there. They're not having to work as hard as I am. I'm having to, come on, whoo, if I can just get my luggage to gate 7B, you know? We're just trudging through the airport, and these people are like, oh, just taking it at a leisurely pace, going just as fast as you are. Boy, you're trying real hard over there. We're, hop we're on a moving sidewalk. Sometimes I think the Holy Spirit inside of you is like, hey, you over there, trying to walk over there. You look like you're having to work real hard to get to the same place. Why don't you look at what's inside of you, Hop on a moving sidewalk, which is the Spirit of God inside of you, and let me give you momentum that will lead you to maturity. Oh. Come on, did you guys catch that? The Holy Spirit inside of us is like, hey, you're trying to do it on your own. And you're walking at the same pace, but you're, not, you're having to try so much harder than you need to be trying. Instead, why don't you just hop on? And just say, Holy Spirit inside of me, I'm going to surrender to you and I'm going to hop on the moving sidewalk and I'm going to get there because I'm doing it in the Spirit. As believers, where is the fullness of Christ? Where is it? It's inside of you. Colossians 2, 9 through 10 says, For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. But listen to verse 10. And in Christ, you, say you, 
have been brought to what? Fullness. It doesn't say you're partially full. It doesn't say you're only 50% old person and 50% new person. It says in you is the fullness of all of Christ. In you. Oh, come on. We have to live from a place of the Holy Spirit present inside of us. Sometimes I think we're trying to figure out how to discipline our way into maturity. We're trying to figure out how to discipline our way into a deeper relationship with the Lord. We're trying to figure out how to just, oh, if I can just do this a little bit better, I'm going to do better. No, 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 no. What about letting the Holy Spirit inside of you lead and guide your life? What about looking inside and saying, whoa, hold on, here's the fullness. You are already full of Christ. I'm not saying that disciplines aren't important. I, I really believe, like, you need to read the Bible, you need to get into community, you need to be plugged into a local church. But I think we've created this system where we've said, if you just do these things, you will mature. And what happens is, is we have a whole lot of burned out Christians that are trying to figure out how to mature on their own. And then they're coming back and they're saying, why isn't this working? Now I'm not sure if I believe in him. Oh, man. Come on, it's easy to get frustrated when you're having to do all of the work. It's easy to get frustrated when maturity is like, hey, you just need to be a better Christian. You just need to do all these things and you'll be a better Christian. Oh, that's going to lead to burnout. You're going to get real tired. You're going to get real exhausted of trying to figure that out on your own. Instead of just saying, hey, what if maturity is inside of me through the Holy Spirit that's made me new? What if that's maturity? What if I don't have to try to figure out how to climb this pedestal, but I just get to hop on the moving sidewalk? Maturity says this, forget my understanding and my knowledge. I follow the leading of Jesus. Maturity is sons and daughters rising up and accessing the fullness of Christ within them through the Holy Spirit. So every day we get the chance to wake up in the morning and say yes to the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Immaturity looks for growth in other places. Maturity finds growth in the Spirit. Immaturity looks for growth in what I can do. Maturity looks for growth in what Jesus can do. That's it right there. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he says, I affirm, brothers and sisters, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus, that I die daily. What's he saying? He says, I die to my old man. I die to my carnal man. And I say yes, and I surrender to the Holy Spirit. You have access to the Holy Spirit. I don't think we talk about this enough. I, I, I don't think we teach about this enough. I think in some ways we, we made the Holy Spirit this kind of weird thing. The Holy Spirit is a person living inside of you that points you to Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. And Paul in Galatians 5, if I could have some keys, that would be awesome, Jeff. Paul in Galatians 5, 16 says, walk by the Spirit. Say, walk by the Spirit. Now, I think some of us were like, man, Paul, that is so good. Not a clue what you mean. Right? 
walk by the Spirit, we sort of know, like, even being in church for so long, we have these concepts, and we're like, that sounds really great, but, like, practically speaking, I have no idea what you're talking about. How do I walk by the Spirit? Let me break this down for you. This speaks of a life controlled continually by the Holy Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. My life is continually controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so what happens when you give up control? You cease to attempt to fulfill yourself. Oh man, I'm going to start crying. I, I, I want to point you to something. When you realize what's inside of you, you will live your life completely differently. And so when Paul says walk by the Spirit, he says live your life completely and continually controlled by my Spirit. Not looking for other things, but realizing what, what is the Holy Spirit's role in your life. And I want you to look at this. The Holy Spirit witnesses he comforts, he searches, he loves, he testifies to Jesus. He brings understanding, he helps us as we pray. He guides us, he gives gifts, he is the helper. He's the spirit of truth, he teaches you, he convicts you, he fills you with power, he demonstrates and he intercedes for you. This is walking in maturity. This is what walking by the Spirit looks like. It looks like I wake up in the morning and I say, Holy Spirit, I, I'm going to let you lead and guide me this morning throughout my day. And it's the first thing I do is I say, Holy Spirit, you have me today. And we let the Spirit of God inside of us lead and guide us. There's no better leader and so instead of trying to figure out how to mature on my own and getting stuck, instead we say, Holy Spirit, would you help me grow? I'm going to mature through you. Listen to this. Look at these things. This is all inside of you. I don't have to go searching for power. I don't have to go searching for someone that guides me. I don't have to go searching for understanding. I don't have to go searching for comfort. I don't have to go searching for these things. I just get to say, Holy Spirit, would you comfort me today? Holy Spirit, would you lead and guide me today? Holy Spirit, I need some power today. I ask you that you'd heal this person. Holy Spirit, I need you to demonstrate in my life today. I thank you that you're interceding for me today. I thank you, Holy Spirit. I don't understand what's going on, but you have the understanding that I need. And we're not searching for it, like, where is the Holy Spirit? Right here. I am a living being with the Holy Spirit living and active. So I don't have to try to figure out where is this thing. I get to be that thing and say, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are leading and guiding me into maturity. And I hop on the moving sidewalk and I just get to let him help me as I walk through life. we could stand I just want to end by, by praying for us I fully believe that the Lord is freeing some people this morning I think he's freeing us of dead religion he's freeing us of trying to figure out 
how to do things on our own. Do you want to pray for him? Yeah. Okay. He's freeing us from this. And instead he's saying, hey, (laughs) pay attention to this. I think in some ways we've just tried to navigate things so much on our own and we're not paying attention to what's inside of us. We're not paying attention to the Holy Spirit. We're not giving the Holy Spirit enough honor. We're not giving the Holy Spirit enough of our lives. We're not giving the Holy Spirit enough of the room. Instead, we're trying to do things over here when the Holy Spirit's like, just surrender to me. I am the best leader. I am the best guide. I just need you to hop on the sidewalk and say, I die daily. I surrender this morning to you, Holy Spirit. Would you lead and guide me? Would you fill me with your power? Would you give me the knowledge of the Son of God? Would you unify me to the faith? Would you unify me to Jesus? Oh, come on. Would you demonstrate in my life, Holy Spirit, what I know that you can do? So this morning, I want to read Paul's apostolic prayer in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 18. And I just want you to receive this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the boundless greatness of his power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of his strength and his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things to the church which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all in all. So this morning, Lord, I'm asking that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. And Lord, this morning, we make a conscious decision to surrender to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Oh, gee, oh, that we would surrender. Lord, we just surrender to the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that, that the Holy Spirit is a person on the inside of us that is leading and guiding us. And so, Lord, we just thank you for that, Lord. And I ask you that every part of our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions, that we would come, bring that, take that, put it under the subjection of the Holy Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, you lead and guide my mind. You lead and guide my heart. You lead and guide my will, my every decision. I want to be led by you. I want my decisions to be led by the Spirit. I want my mind to be renewed constantly by the Spirit. I want my heart to be full of the Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we thank you and we just declare that we will not attempt to do maturity on our own. We're not going to try to self-discipline ourselves into a greater Christian life. Instead, we're just going to surrender to your Spirit inside of us and say, this is maturity. It's surrender. It's letting the Holy Spirit lead and guide me. It's giving the Spirit complete control continually over our life. We just thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.